Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Three Tools will try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 291-6900. And you put a 225 in front. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. That's right. We and certainly wish you would. Should you happen to know the world code, there you, you can go. reach us from anywhere in the world this morning. There you go. You just dial that extra digit or two, and that'll get you out of your country and onto the I don't know what they call it. It's not a worldwide no, it's web. It's a worldwide telephone network. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely a network of stuff out there. Oh, yeah. Wires and gizmos and relays and repeaters. And, and I'm sure somewhere. Who knows what else? I'm sure somewhere there's still one of those old rotary phones, you know, we used to use back in the day. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Exactly. I can still remember those. Remember those very well. I don't want to use one anymore, but I do remember them quite well. And a lot of that old stuff like that was just, I mean, it will probably be around. I know we'll walk down the street in New Orleans a lot of times, and I'll see some of these old pay phones still uh-huh. on the wall. And, of course, they don't work long since been gutted out, but they're still there. Right. But I bet if you hooked a wire to it, it probably still works. <laughs> I tell you what, some of that stuff you just got tired of looking at. That's right. I had a gentleman who brought me an old adding machine. You know, we've got all the old stuff in mm, the office. Right. And he said, would you like an old adding machine? Sure. So he brought it by, and it's um, identified, or Chris was cleaning it up, and he Went on the line and found it. It's, it's an old Burroughs made uh-huh. in 1919. 19, something like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Old, almost 100 years old. And just kind of cool to see that stuff. It's all still intact, all still there. Probably clean it up a little bit and it would still add up. Yeah. <laughs> some of the buttons are kind of froze up in it. Yeah. It wasn't, wasn't well kept. No, it probably looked like it was kept outside at some yeah. point in time. It's just a little corroded, but still, it's a still nice piece of history yeah. Yeah, to, right. to take a look at. That's right. And just sit down and watch. See how it works. Yeah, all the I mean, it's all mechanical mechanisms so, yeah. and stuff in there. I always had a fascination with things mechanical, and not so much with the electronic stuff. It's mm-hmm. I don't know. Just I guess that whole fascination for the young people now. But I always loved things that were mechanical. We had a fellow brought an older Cadillac in, and this had a rudimentary traction control system mm-hmm. and before the electronic. Right. Nowadays, of course, traction control is common as dirt. It's all electronic. It has sensors and data. But this was a mechanical traction mm-hmm. control system, and I guess it had some kind of a sensor to feed it. But it worked almost like a spring with a set of pulleys, and when it engaged, what would happen when you mash the gas pedal, it would just feel like pressing against a strong spring. It right. Push your foot back. And the car would only go about 25 miles an hour. It would disengage the throttle pedal from, uh-huh. the, right. from the carburetor. Well, the throttle is driven through it. Mm-hmm. And when it decided that uh, there was a, a traction problem. control problem, it would shut it down. And this has been working flawlessly since, since 1995. Right. Yeah, it's a 95 model. And some chucklehead put the wrong size tire on the back. How about uh, that? Yeah, Two different size tires on the back. and condition. took the car to the Cadillac dealer, as a matter of fact, because that was the only one who had that particular size tire in white wall that uh-huh. he wanted and it has a 235.75 on one side they put a 225.70 on the other side how about that so he takes off and it of course goes in trash control mode won't go anywhere so right. he brings it by we look at it we say we well, got the wrong size tire on it so i unplugged the unit so that he could drive it because you couldn't go but 20, 20 miles, miles an hour, an hour right. so yeah unplugged the unit so he could drive well they take it over there and, well yeah we'll put another tire but that's not what wrong it needs to be reprogrammed i'm like but this is a mechanical <laughs> system. There's no reprogramming here. Exactly. Well, we, we're not going to charge anything. We're going to go ahead and reprogram it. So anyway, long story short, so he swings back by. I plug it back in. Well, now it's fixed. Right. <laughs> Just go figure. Yeah, huh? amazing. But let's go back to our I'll go to our phone lines. We've got Herb online. Good morning, Herb. 
Good morning. I hadn't got no problem this morning, but I couldn't help but thinking about you and Josh looking mm-hmm. at all those cars mm-hmm. riding along in that water, headlight deep, you know. Oh, yeah, Jesus, They have no idea the problems that's going to cause them in the next month or so. I'm right. telling you. I told my wife, I said, them, crazy, them guys are crazy. But, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the wheel bearings, the transmissions, the rear differentials. I mean, if you had to park the car or tow the car and rent a car or take a cab, you'd be so many dollars ahead. Mm-hmm. Than trying to drive. Oh, I had to get. Well, I'm gonna tell you, bro. You'd be better off to park the car and walk through the water, <laughs> yeah. or, or just stay home. And or lose just that stay, day home. stay home. Yeah, lose exactly. that damn pay because it is not gonna come close to paying for that transmission and rear differential wheel bearings. You just burned yep. up driving through the water. Yeah. And you know the thing about it, that stuff's not gonna go out immediately. No. It's gonna be a few months down the road when they start failing, and it doesn't get relayed back to wait a minute no. i drove through all that water well inevitably so, folks come in they got a couple of bad wheel bearings or got water well i never drove through high water <laughs> <laughs> i can't tell you how many times i've heard that story yeah it wasn't high yeah <laughs> all right well i just right. thought i'd stir y'all up a there you go Herb. thanks right, man bye bye all right 291-6901 is the number if you want to be part of the automotive hour we'd love to have you just go ahead and give us a call i'm looking for a rush of wheel bearings and differential it, failures here it in the next will couple be months. coming within the next couple of months generally what happens is the water wicks in past the seal well the bearing's hot when it hits the right. water so a hot bearing is going to cool off kind of a vacuum mm-hmm. when it cools off and it's going to pull that water right past right. the seal and into the grease that seal is designed to hold the grease in correct it is not designed to keep water out right it's just it, it keeps dust and dirt out it keeps big stuff out but it's not it's water resistant but not it's certainly waterproof. not waterproof if you Definitely. put it underwater and turn the wheel it's going to get in sure and when it gets in it's going to start to emulsify the grease because that's what water does uh-huh and when it does, it destroys the lubrication capability of the grease. Plus, it starts to pit and rust the metal parts because it attacks it. It doesn't happen right away. It can take anywhere from three months to a year. Right. But then the wheel bearings start to go out. If it gets in a transmission, generally, it's a little faster than that. Although, I've seen some of them go almost a year. Most time, within Six. a couple of months, trans is going to go south. Right. Same thing with rear differential. We have gone to service tr- rear differentials that were making noise, drop rear cover, Water comes running out. All the gear teeth are rusted up. The bearings are rusted up. Yep. And, of course, at that point, yeah, you're into a major, major, major repair that could very, very easily have been prevented. Yes, it could have. And normally either they will say, well, I never drove through high water, which you know that's not correct, or they'll say, well, I didn't know that would hurt it. <laughs> I had to get where I was going. I had to. It was an emergency. So, yeah. Hey, one little quick break and right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Six, six. Wines from Chicago. Hey, Lewis Alzan from Agco Automotive. This year we celebrate 40 years in business, and you won't believe the people calling in to congratulate us. Hey, Lewis, it's Jay. You, you know, I'm in the cars myself, and 40 years of business is amazing, just amazing. You know, if I still had my show, I'd have you in the interview chat just like that. Mr. Altazan, congratulations from your old pal Jack. 40 years is quite an accomplishment, and that's the truth. I should know, because I can handle the truth. Uh, uh, Lewis, it's, it's me, Oz. 40 years. I, I can't even... Bloody amazing. Sharon, where's my cell phone? Oh, that's right. I, I, I'm on it. Now I've got to find my glasses. Well, it's been really nice getting all these calls. I guess in this day and age, people really appreciate an automotive repair shop that does good work and will never steal your own. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go.
Hey, welcome back to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Between Tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? It's 291-6901. And maybe should you happen to think of something after we go off the air today or just don't Don't like care to call in. Right, or maybe even next week at midnight. That's right. You can always go to our website and get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, fill out the form, and send it in. That's right. And that is the easiest and only way that you that, can get in touch with us other than calling is. on the radio show. Because if you call during the week at the shop to make an appointment or to ask for information, hours, or whatever, the ladies who answer the phone will be more than happy to accommodate you. But I'm not able to come to the phone and address questions during the week, so that's why we do the radio show on the weekend. That's why we have a website where you can contact us. More than happy to reply that way, but don't call the shop and expect me to come to the phone. I just can't do it, and that's why we provide those services. More than more than happy to talk to you and try to help you out and point you in the right direction. Just that's can't what we're here for today. During the week when I'm doing my job, <laughs> <laughs> we're going back to our phone lines. Jim, good morning, Jim. Uh, good morning. Here it is, Halloween. I'm calling the scariest guys on the radio. That's <laughs> Well, I got a 2002 Chevy Silverado okay. 1500, mm-hmm. the V6, and I'm kind of first thing in the morning when I crank up the truck, and I'm back out the driveway and turn the wheel either way, all the way. It kind of makes a wrong and mm. does it intermittently sometimes during the day, but it's usually the first time I crank it, and it's just a little rattling, and it's kind of sound like it's, you know, something loose or something mm-hmm. coming from exhaust or something as it goes goes well i tell you the most common thing there jim that does that would be the catalytic converter will make that noise and when it heats up it expands and it gets hot pretty fast so generally it'll kind of quiet down but they'll make the exact noise you're talking about and generally it's going to be when you first crank it up in the morning and when i turn the steering wheel all the way to well maybe you know maybe it's turning so it's got a piece in there that hits against the side and when you're going straight it's kind of hanging level as close to it but not touching it but that's the first thing that would come to my mind or it could be something in the exhaust itself that just shifts one way or the other because again when the exhaust gets hot it kind of changes the shape and tightens up and yeah 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 so i, I would kind of lean towards exhaust more than anything else I try to get up underneath there and mm-hmm. have the wife turn the steering wheel. And right. Well, what, I, what I, you're going to have to do. I do truck while, she, while she's driving it back. Yeah, you what know? you're going to need to do rather than that is to put it up on a lift and get in there with like a rubber mallet and tap on the exhaust when it's cold oh. and see if you can duplicate right. the same kind of a rattle. And right. most likely the turning is just shifting something one way or the other. It could be a shield on top of the exhaust that's real close. Okay. And, you know, the weight of the exhaust shifts to the side and rattles. I know the mufflers used to be real bad about the heat shield cracking on mm-hmm. the top, and they mm-hmm. would rattle like that in the morning. Right. Oh, okay. When they heat up, they just kind of move a little bit because right. metal expands and it gets further away so it doesn't rattle, you know, that sort of thing. That shield is part of the muffler assembly. It's crimped into the muffler on the sides when they mm-hmm. crimp the ends together. And what happens is it cracks right on the edge of that. The shield cracks because there's nothing to support it between the ends. And over time, it cracks. Yeah, and we're usually going with a MIG weld and just kind just of tack, tack them back up. A uh, big, okay. uh, great big hose clamp might do that. Would pull it back tight. I mean, something, something of that nature. You can look under there and you can see the crack in. Yeah, you're generally going to find if you you're going to need to put it on a lift. So you're probably going to take right. it somewhere. You know, trying to lay on your back under the car or under the truck, you're not going to get very far. But yeah, if you get it up true. in the air, you can generally spot that pretty easily. I guess I'll take it to my guy and ask him to look at it. There you go. Be prepared right, to leave it the night before. Yeah, leave it the night before where he's got it when it's cold. Yeah. 
Yeah. Maybe okay, even let him put that. it on the rack the night before, and that mm -hmm. way, first thing in the morning, he can walk underneath it without having to move it. Right. Yeah. Okay, I appreciate it. All right, Jim. Thanks, All right. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive eye, we would love to have you. And we got Rick online. Good morning, Rick. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. How are you doing? Doing good, great, sir. Doing great. Good. I've got a Jeep Wrangler two, 2003. Mm -hmm. And when I turn the key and start it, it starts right up. But then when I let my foot off the accelerator, it kills. Mm -hmm. It will not idle. Okay. Yeah. Almost. And uh, when I, you know, hold down the accelerator, mm -hmm. it keeps running. Yeah. But I look at the uh, battery gate, alternator, whatever. Mm -hmm. It's just pinned right in the middle. It doesn't ever move. Well, that's not that unusual. Yeah. A lot of those gauges are not really Actually, gauges yeah. at all. They right. look like a gauge, but they're just an off-on type thing. And they go sit in one spot until it doesn't work at all. Then they'll drop to zero or something like that. They they, they uh -huh. made to look like a gauge, but they're just an indicator is all yeah, they are. It's switch is what it is. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. But okay. I would suspect something in the idle system could be the idle control servo is hung up on it. It could be a vacuum leak that's allowing it to run too lean when it goes to idle. It, Have you even possible if the battery were disconnected, it would lose the idle memory. And sometimes if the throttle body is dirty, it can't relearn that on its own. So it may be as simple as going in and cleaning the throttle body and clearing the memory and letting it relearn again. Okay. Particularly if the battery's been replaced in it at some point in the recent past, about the time it started doing that. Well, about a year ago, a year and a half, something like that. Mm -hmm. When did yeah. it start doing the dying? Just recently. And I haven't driven it at all since uh, in about a week. So yeah, more likely. Since it started doing that. Yeah, it's going to probably be like an idle control servo, which is not a terribly big deal, but it's a little motor inside the throttle body that opens the throttle when the computer commands it to to hold it at a certain idle. And uh -huh. it'll stick, and it's at idle probably more than any other position, so that's the part that wears out or binds or sticks, and when it does, it just fails to open the throttle enough. And it may even try to idle, but it's just idling so low it can't run. So when you let off the gas, it just kind of dies. Okay, so about the only thing I can do, you know, I'm not too mechanically mm -hmm. inclined, but I can disconnect the battery and then reconnect it and see what happens, huh? Well, that's not going to help. If not you do that, it's going to lose. No, it's okay. going to lose any kind of memory that it had that you might need. Plus, it'll fail inspection if you go down. It has to relearn all that stuff. So, what I would probably do if you just want to try to do something is take like a screwdriver handle and uh -huh. take the air cleaner off and get your wife say to crank the engine up and just tap lightly on the throttle body with that screwdriver handle. You can see okay. a part going in with a wire on it. Just kind of tap on that and see if that helps. If it helps temporarily, then that's definitely what it is. But even if it doesn't help, it could still be that. So, I mean, I would probably try to clean the throttle body first or have someone clean the throttle body. Mm -hmm. Not handy. It'd be easier to pay someone. It's not a very expensive thing. Probably less than 50 bucks. They'll clean the throttle body for you. And, okay. And uh, possibly replace that idle control servo. All right. Well, All right. That, I'll try that. Thank you. All right, Thanks sir. a lot. Yes, sir. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive fire, we'd love to have you. Instead of just taking that vehicle in and telling somebody, you know, I need, I need to clean the throttle body. Right. Bring it in and give them the symptom. Yeah, it won't idle. It, it won't idle. It keeps and, dying. Take and let them go from there. Mm -hmm. And that way they can diagnose the problem and possibly fix it within an hour. Yeah, there you go. And that used to be a very common issue back in the day when you had idle control servos on everything. Right. And more and more cars are getting away from that because as they are coming out with drive-by-wire, 
which is largely around 2004 somewhere, somewhere around is there. when the drive-by-wire got very, very prevalent, probably before that on some cars, after on other cars. But what it does, it's got a part that opens and closes the throttle anyway, so they just use that to control idle. So it doesn't have a separate servo for, right. for idle control like right. they there, did. There's no cable coming from the accelerator pedal anymore. It's sensors that have to correspond with each other, mm-hmm. and it then tells the computer, hey, we want this much throttle. The computer puts out that much voltage to the motor on the throttle plate, turns and opens the throttle plate, and that's how you get acceleration and idle and the things you used to get with a cable. Right, anything that it needs to do. Well, back in the day, there was a little screw that you'd turn, and it would go against a stop, and it would hold the throttle blade open a certain amount. Well, you are talking back in the day. <laughs> I'm talking about way back in yeah, the day. I, I'm an old guy. <laughs> <laughs> but the disadvantage there was they never idled consistently. Right. And what would happen as air conditioning and things like that started getting more and more popular, when you turn the air conditioner on, it was a much heavier load. Correct. So the idle would slow down. And if you idled it up high enough with the AC on, when you didn't run the AC, right, it was way up there. It was running 1,000 RPM or more. So the advantage to going to the idle control servo with the computer is that it could adjust for all that. For right. instance, it would hold it right at 600 RPM. When you turn the AC on, it would instantly bring it right back to 600 RPM. Exactly. When it was cold, it would move it up to whatever. They used to have an ingenious set of thermoelectrical calls right. and cams and stuff like that that would rotate. To and we're all talking back to mechanical days. Oh, yeah, again. yeah, yeah, back in the old mechanical days. Right. There'd be a fast idle cam and right. different screws and one thing and another. I remember when they first started coming out with emissions controls, they necessarily had to idle engines just a bit higher. So they went from like five, 550 they had been running up to around 800. Mm-hmm. And then they started having trouble because they run the engines hotter as well to get the emissions right. You'd have a lot of what they call detonation or run on. You'd right. turn the key off and the car, right. and keep on trying to run because of the faster idle and because of the higher engine temperatures. And so they came out with a series of little solenoids, and what would happen when you turn the key on, that would pop out, idle engine up to the speed it wanted to run. Uh When you turn the key off, it would slam that blade completely shut. That way it would run out of air. Yeah, run out of air and it would die. And when those would go bad, people being what people are, they didn't want to spend the money for another servo, so they would just crank it out to where it idled normal speed Uh without the servo coming out. And, of course, we turn the key off. Come on, sit there and keep trying to run on, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And they had all kind of ingenious ways of killing it. If it was a standard, they'd put it in gear and pop Just the clutch, clutch and yeah. what have you. you know, folks are real, real uh, creative and adapting <laughs> to things like that. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's way, way back. Oh, yeah. I can remember them days. That's oh, not that yeah. far back. Well, fortunately, we don't have to deal with any of that kind of stuff. It's and funny you, that one of the biggest complaints you get today is, oh, my God, my car died. I know, and, and back in the day, that was nothing wow. out of the normal. Yeah, I mean, it would die five times before you got out to drive. Yeah, away. yeah. By the time you started and got it backed out into the road, it probably died five times. Exactly. You sort of learned how to drive with two feet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, they don't even teach that anymore. And, yeah. they, and my girls just got done with driver's ed. Uh-huh. And they told them, you will not drive with two feet. No, that, they'll fail you for that. That's right. We're going to fail you if we catch you driving with two feet. <laughs> so the first thing I did when I got them home after the class yeah. is I taught them how to drive with yeah, two feet. Yeah, in case it dies, this is how you keep it exactly. running. <laughs> I mean, it just, I learned to drive with two feet. That's right. Let's go back to our phone line with Jay. Good morning, Jay. Hey, good morning. How are we doing? Doing good great, sir. Outstanding. I've got a couple of questions for you. I have a 2001 Ford Taurus. Uh-huh. And the driver's, I mean, uh, the airbag light is on. Okay. And then when, I, when I go to start the car, mm-hmm. it flashes, I think a code 26. Could be, it yes. It flashes twice. Mm-hmm. 
and then it pauses and it flashes six times, and it does that three yeah, times. Yeah, sounds right. like a 26. Yep. And you just have to look a 26 up. I can tell you the most common problem we see on those cars is the, uh, and I'm not to put you on hold because I got too much background noise, but the most common problem that we see is the clock spring assembly. It's a little gizmo underneath the airbag, and it's a wire that's wound one way and then wound the other way. So that's why they call it a clock spring. Yeah, like a clock spring would be. And it allows the steering wheel to turn in either direction and still maintain electrical conductivity to the airbag. Right, with a connector instead of a set of brushes, something like a right. horn has. And what happens over the years is that they turn one way, they turn the other way, and then they crack, and then it starts throwing light off. Sometimes what will happen, the cruise control may also stop working or if it goes through the same, or the horn. Right. Because sometimes those will run through there, sometimes not. But where you would start out, Jay, is to go to the... Uh, you go on the internet or go to service data and look up a code 26 for that year model and just see what circuit it indicates. And if it says something like airbag or airbag squib, it doesn't mean necessarily it's bad because it could also be a rodent got in the car and chewed the wire in half. Yep. You'd have to go in, take the bag out, take a volt ohm meter and ohm out the wires. And that way it'll tell you for sure this is the part or that's the part. Not too terribly difficult to repair. You just have to remove the airbag and then you remove the squib assembly. Sometimes, too, there's a little connector that'll burn off on them. Right. So, again, just look up the code, see what it indicates. And if you had any other questions, just call me back on a little quieter line. I just can't hear on that one. It's too much background noise. I see we're going back to our phone lines. we got Matt on line. Good morning, Matt. Hey, guys. Good morning. How are you? Doing great, Good sir. morning. Good question. This is my wife. Uh, my wife. My sister asked me to call you about this. She's got a 2006 mm-hmm. Mercury Mountaineer. It's a Mercury Mountaineer. Yes, sir. And the ABS brakes are out. I mean, she knows that they're out. And they want like three grand to repair them. Okay. And she's asking a, a valid question. Mm-hmm. Do you have to have the ABS working or are the brakes still functional? No, the brakes are totally functional on that, Matt, because that system is what they call an add-on system. In other words, you have a full standard hydraulic brake system, and then the ABS is an electrical system that monitors that. Okay. So as long as it's not pulling one way on braking or something like that, because it could do something like that depending on the malfunction, but a standard malfunction where it just shuts down, you will still have full regular brakes. And in Louisiana, you do not have to have that operable to get a safety inspection because it doesn't affect safety, and not all cars have ABS. So if she yeah, elects not to, yeah, if she elects not to fix it, no harm, no foul, just keep driving. You just won't have any locked brakes. Okay, I mean, but it, the only risk is that she's going to have longer stopping distance and things like that. Well, and not but even not that. Unsafe to yeah, drive. not even that, okay. Matt, because, see, ABS brakes are kind of misunderstood by most people. They don't make the car stop faster. If anything, oh. they make it take slightly longer to stop because they're releasing the brake. What ABS does is it keeps the wheel from locking so you can maintain better steering control. Because a, ah. a, tire, a wheel... Instance, yeah, if, if you cut your wheels hard trying to avoid something and you start to slide... Well, it's going to slide straight because it's no longer the rolling. The momentum is going to keep you going in the same right. direction. What ABS does, it pulses the brake so the wheel doesn't lock up so that you can go ahead and make that turn. So it's more of a okay. steering aid than a braking aid. Right. All right, guys, that's awesome. You saved your $3,000. <laughs> hey, hey, thanks for calling, man. All right. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, we've got to take one more quick little break. We'll be right back with more in the Automotive Hour. Hi, it's Louis Altazan from Agco Automotive. It's our 40-year anniversary, and the phone's been ringing off the hook with congrats from far and wide. Good day, and congratulations from Buckingham Palace. Next time you're in London, Louis, you must stop by for tea. I'm restoring an old Aston Martin and have some questions about the timing adjustments. Hope to see you soon. 
Lewis, it's your nanny. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I wanted to call and tell you how proud I am of you. Forty years is nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> ho, 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 Lewis. Fixing cars right the first time for over 40 years. You've been a very good boy. I think I have something special for you this year. Keep up the good work. See calls from far and wide. I guess 40 years of high-quality work really means a lot to people and keeps me on the nice list. Now I can't wait for Christmas. Adco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersan, and got Mr. Brian Terry right here with us as well. And we sure appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. We try to help you out and point you in the right direction. Just go ahead and give us a call. We're talking to Jay just a bit ago and had a bad, bad connection there. So, but another couple of things we said the clock springs one of the most common things, but another right. very common thing on Ford products, particularly the seat belt pretensioners. Correct. And also the seat position, position sensor. Right. And you would have to look up a code 26. I don't have service data in front of me, but I know it's got a sensor in the seat that tells it what position the seat is in because right. it's How closer. Close. It's not going to deploy as hard as if it's further back. Correct. And what happens sometimes that folks will kind of push stuff under their seat. Right. And they'll end up pushing those connectors apart right. or pushing over something and bending it. Right. There's, there's not a whole lot of room under there with all the electronics now that they have. With the seat position sensor, the power tracks, you know, there's not a lot of room left right. under there anymore. So really it's, best not to ever try to put anything under the seat. I know we used to do that in the past. but Well, you had all kind of room in the yeah, past. I it's mean, very close to the floor anyway. And shoving things under there, you can easily pull some of the wiring apart and cause sure. all kinds of issues. In fact, there's a few of them that have the computer, the engine computer is under the seat. Right. And you may do damage to that even I've, trying to shove the wrong thing under. We had a gentleman who had a airbag code, and every time he would bring it in, we would check it, check it, check it, never could find a problem. Uh -huh. And it was the occupancy sensor on the passenger side was the code. Right. Well, we would check the sensor. We would check the wires. We would check all these things. Everything was working. The time everything we was working it. fine. And one time, he picked up the car, and I just happened to walk out into the parking lot. I was talking with him, and uh -huh. as he got in the car... The first thing he did, he took his laptop and, and he, he laid it in, in the, the passenger seat. That's right. And I'm like, do you do that often? He said, oh, yeah, every, every time, all the time. Right. I said, there you go. There's and the problem. And what it is, if it sees something in that seat, it's going to think there's a person there. Right. A small person right. because it's and the, the laptop. And the seatbelt is not latched, so it's going to go ahead and throw out a code for that. Right. Also, stuff like laptops or even a cell phone under certain conditions can produce frequencies that may interfere with those sensors. Right. So it's best not ever to lay anything on the passenger seat of a modern vehicle, no kind of electronic device or really nothing at all mm -hmm. other than another human being. Right. Because you can set problems. And when you get to the shop and you take the stuff out of your car, when they check it, they are not going to find a problem. Right. So you have to remember when you bring a car in for a problem, try to bring it in in the condition that it's at when the problem occurs if you can – reason that out right that's the whole key if you can reason it out most people don't even think about it never I know, think about it twice. i know i don't right we had another gentleman who had a no start issue and mm -hmm. he said the car occasionally you would turn it it would not start it would not do anything and he would bring the car in leave it for weeks right started hundreds and hundreds of times never could find it but what it was he had two sets of keys to the car mm. 
And when he would yep. bring it in, he would leave his extra keys with us. Right. Well, that key has a chip in it. That's working perfectly. But the key on his key ring does not. <laughs> <laughs> so when you bring it to me, all that I can do is check it, check it, check it. Hey, it's working perfectly. We can't duplicate the problem. Mm-hmm. And it just occurred to me one day. I said, look, when you bring the car in, do you leave the key that you drive? He says, no, I always leave my extra key. So I said, tell you what. Let's set up an appointment, bring it again next week, but this time leave both keys. Right. And he did. And sure enough, when you would put his key in, occasionally you turn the key and it would not start uh-huh. because the chip didn't make up. Put the other key in, it would start perfectly every single time. Something so you never think about. Yeah, it. you just don't think about all these little idiosyncrasies that can exist. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's very, very difficult to try to think of all the things you have to. So that's why it's best. If you can show the shop what it's doing. Oh, most definitely. I mean, I, I'm all for that. Mm-hmm. If you can show me what's going on, there's a much greater chance that I'm going to get it fixed. If I just had, Instead of just going out to the car and trying to guess, well, it's got 15 noises. This right. is the one we're listening for. Well, or, years ago, I wrote an article saying shops are from Mars and customers are from Venus. Right, right. And it's because we don't speak the same language. Shops speak a technical language. Mm-hmm. Everything to them is technical, off, on, blah, 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 blah. Whereas with customers, it's more emotional. It's this, it's that, and the other. We had a young man brought a Honda in earlier this week, and he said, occasionally my car will just start itself. It'll just start running on its own. Okay. And I said, well, explain that to me. He said, well, I turn the key off, take it out, and the car will start. I can hear it running. He says, but it sounds funny when it's running. Okay. And I said, okay, well, I'm not going to say it couldn't happen, particularly if it has auto start. So we started checking the car. It didn't have auto start. All right. Could not make it start again. However, after driving it for a fair amount of time, I did notice the engine temperature was slightly elevated. And we looked and found the radiator cap had come apart on it. So it was not building the proper pressure. And what was happening is that, the engine was getting hotter than normal, so when he was turned off, the cooling fans were coming on to cool the engine down. Gotcha. He had never heard that before, so he assumed the engine was yes, running. Right. He just wasn't a real mechanical uh-huh. well, inclined person, which lots of folks aren't. Right. But when he heard that sound, he thought the engine was running. But not at, here not we are, at the same rate, so he knew something was different. We're checking every possible thing that could have to do with the engine starting itself and all Correct. that. We wasted a good deal of time doing that. And just lucky, it occurred to me that, well, I wonder if he's hearing the fan run. Mm -hmm. So, like I told him, I said, I cannot guarantee you this is what you're hearing because I haven't heard it, hasn't done it. However, it certainly needs a radiator cap. This was busted. Let's put a cap. Let's fill it up with coolant. You take it back, drive it around. If it continues, then I can go further. Uh And see, that's just a good common sense approach. And that saves a tremendous amount of money over me continuing to look because shops operate anywhere from 80 to 150 dollars an hour and their time is very valuable for you to pay for and if you want them to just sit there and keep trying 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 something trying to duplicate it it's going to get very very expensive yes it will we generally when we have an intermittent problem we will look at it a small amount of time and if it just is obvious that i'm not getting anywhere i am going to stop and call the client and say i advise we wait until this becomes more consistent right if you have a problem where the car won't start once every three weeks, well, I'm probably not ever going to hit that in the shop. So I know it's annoying. I know there should be a better way, but there just isn't. And the only other thing I can do is continue to start your car, start your car, start your car, but I'm eating up time doing that. That you're having to pay, that clients that they're going to have for. to pay for. And it's not anything that can be tested because 
it has to occur while test equipment is connected to see what's going on. Sure. Well, the electrical circuit is zero or one. It's off or on. Right. So if it's working at the time, then it's going to check fine. It's just going to check one. It's going to be good. It's, it's, a, it's a closed circuit. It's got power on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it doesn't say a week from now this is not going to occur. Exactly. There's it's just, just a, no way. The nature of electronics. Uh-huh. Some of the more modern cars do set failure records, which right. kind of help to go to those things. But so many of them don't, and so many of them don't on the things that, and you know, generally so when obscure. the car is starting, it's not running, so it's not going to set any kind of codes or failure records anyway because mm-hmm. it's not running yet. So it's just a little piece of advice when you do bring one in. If you can demonstrate what it's doing, if you can get the most information possible. For instance, this always seems to occur after I drive for an hour or more. Right. And then I turn it off and let it sit for 10 minutes, and then I come back. That's the sequence of events because that's what I have to know. That's the shop has to try to duplicate right. to because get to the item If you it only happens after an hour driving and you bring it in, I just keep trying, 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 but I never drive it for an hour first. Right. I'm not going to be able to duplicate it. And in a case like that, you don't want to have to pay the shop an hour to drive the car. Most definitely. So what would be better is to make arrangements. Say, look, I'm going to drive the car for an hour. I'm going to bring it in. You let it sit for 15 minutes and, and then try it. See what happens. So that's a common sense, reasonable method where you can save a whole lot of money, right. save the shop a lot of time. By doing a little bit of legwork yourself. Right. And almost any good shop is going to be able to accommodate you on that kind of stuff. So these are the ways you can go to those sorts of things a lot easier and a lot less expensively than just bringing it in and say, well, I don't know, something's wrong with it. Right. Just just check everything. Right. Uh, You can't really, you can't check everything. Well, keep car for six months, tear it down, take every part apart and check. It costs $30,000, you know, and and (laughs) take six months, but I don't think you want to do that. Hey, one last quick little break. I'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Hi, folks. Louis Aldezan here from Agco Automotive. This year we celebrate 40 years in business, and man, I can't believe all the calls we received from national dignitaries. Louis, it's the governor. I'm taking time out from my new movie to congratulate you on 40 years. I got to run, but I'll be back. Louis, hey, I'm playing golf with an old friend, and we wanted to call and say that 40 years is quite a run. Lewis, that is absolutely splendorific. <laughs> hey, Lewis, James here, 40 years, wow. You know, there's nothing more I like than a good homegrown Louisiana success story, except, well, maybe politicking and my tigers. Are you up now, you hear? Well, I'm flattered. I guess even in the world of politics, honesty and integrity are still something to value. Okay, well, maybe outside the world of politics. Agco, after 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm host Lewis Aldezan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? It's 291-6901. And we're going to line with Jason. Good morning, Jason. Uh, good morning, guys. How are y'all? Doing great, Doing sir. Great. All right. Happy Halloween to you. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. All right. So I kind of feel a little, a little stupid asking this question to, to you guys, but for the last three days, I have a little Nissan uh, Frontier pickup truck. Mm-hmm got some fairly new tires on it okay. about a year old uh-huh. for the last three days i've been hearing what sounds like a rock in one of those tires and okay. look i have i have combed those tires with mm-hmm. my hand i have looked 
I pulled out an acorn and a couple of small right. rocks. Right. Well, is this like a tick, 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 tick as yeah, you're rolling? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and the frequency of the sound will pick up. With the speed of the, the truck vehicle. picks up. Mm-hmm. You know, stop when you down. stop? Yes. Does yes. it? You know, I've even shaken the truck to see if something else might be rattling, making that sound. One question. One yes, question. Sir. Does it stop when you apply the brakes? Yes. yes. It does stop when you apply the brakes. Yes. When I and, stop. No, no, oh, no, no, no. If you just touch if the, the vehicle's touch still the rolling, going down the road, will it stop? Right. You're talking about when I'm still rolling. Come yeah. When, when it's doing, making a noise, if you lightly apply the brakes, see if the noise stops. I can't quite say it does or doesn't. Well, try that okay. because okay. a lot of times, what well, that's going to tell you, see, if it stops immediately when you do that, then you end the brake somewhere. Probably a caliper that's maybe loose, one of the bolts is backed out or on it. Or a slide pin that's worn slide out. Slide pin that's worn out, binding. A loose shoe that's lost a clip. Right. Well, or a pad, I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, now, now several... if you apply the brakes lightly and noise doesn't change at all, then you can forget all that. Right. You know, it's, it's okay. going to be something else. Make sure, put a wrench on all the lug nuts. Make sure all your lug nuts are tight. Good idea. Okay. I've seen lug nuts back off and make that kind of a noise. And when yep. they're going faster, they'll just kind of lock up. I had one really weird, and, and I'm going to ask this, but what happened? The tire pressure monitoring sensor had broken loose and it was rattling around inside the wheel. And really? believe it or not, the light wasn't on because it was still working. It was still transmitting. It was just bouncing around inside the wheel, and that's kind of weird. But I mean, that can yeah. happen. And of course, Haven't got I, any any uh, tire right? But it, this one, this one didn't either. It was still working. The the sensor was still transmitting. It just wasn't attached anymore. And when it got going fast, centrifugal force just tied up against the head you know, against the edge of the tire, and it just slung around in there, and it quit moving around. But when you went slow, it would rattle around. But Okay. Try just driving along with it, making the noise, and just lightly apply the brake and see if it quits. And if okay. it does, you're most likely in something in the brakes. Okay. And I have pulled out a few, you know, how to keep. Right. Again, I'm like, and I'm checking the tires at different right. stops and locations. Like, there's still a few small. Yeah, but odds are, if it was something big enough to make that kind of noise, you'd, you'd see it. See it. You'd have oh, found yeah. that by pretty, now. Right. It's making a pretty large, like a large rock would be in there. Right. Right. I think you'd have seen that, man. Yeah. Try applying the brakes lightly and see if it goes away. Okay, I sure will. I ride with the windows down a good bit, and so uh-huh. I can hear. I can hear that. Yeah. Right. And I don't. Th- I don't think I'm not like an interstate driver, so I'm on secondary roads. I hear the thing, uh-huh. but then it it seems like when when I'm in traffic, it kind of goes away. Cause right. Price going slower. Yeah. Try try yeah. applying the brakes light. See, so too, okay. when you're in traffic, you may have your foot on the brake while you while you're rolling. Also. Exactly. Yeah. So, I, I'm glad I called you guys because I didn't have any idea. Yeah. <laughs> try that and see, and and if it goes away, most likely there's something in the brakes. Okay. I appreciate Alrighty. it, guys. All right, man. All right. Thanks, thanks, Jason. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right, going right straight back to our phone lines. Let's, there we go. <laughs> we got Art on line. Good morning, Art. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Look, someone uh, somehow or another stripped the drain plug on my oil pan. Yes, sir. And one of the big box stores put a thing they call a, a smart plug in there, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Uh, I don't really trust it. Yeah, uh, I don't like those here, either. Years ago, we used to get a, a drain plug that was a little bit oversized. Yes, right. yes mm-hmm. Are those still a good option? Or well, we what kind of car is it, Art? It's a Ford pickup. Ford pickup. If it's got a aluminum pan, which most of them do, that's going to be a okay temporary option. But eventually, what it does, it kind of sort of cuts new threads in there, a larger size. And it may work a while as long as you're extremely careful with it. A lot of times what happens, they end up pulling out also because it's really not a proper thread like you get with a new pan. The only permanent fix would be a new pan. But I would probably try that first. They make a plus one and a plus two drain plug like that. A plus one is a little bit bigger. A plus two is even bigger than that. 
start out with a plus one, and if it strips again, you can always go to a plus two, and maybe that'll get you all you need. But, you know, you just don't want to take a chance with it popping out, going down the road, burning exactly. an engine up. So most of the time, you end up with a new oil pan. Okay. If you go keep the truck a long period right. of time. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you very much. Okay, all man. Right, thank you. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would love to have you. You know, they got all them little fancy drain plug adapters and they do. deals to put in when they strip one out. I mean, instead if of just avoiding the problem. Right, is, if you're doing the job right, you're right. torquing the drain plug back to the proper Changing torque. Changing the seal every time. Right, and I mean, we don't have any types of oil pan issues. Right, well, we change once, all thousands of times a year oh, yeah. and really never have problems with that. But again, we're putting a new crush washer under and using a torque wrench to torque the plug. Right, instead of just cranking it down as yeah, tight as you can get how, it. Let's see how tight we can get this one. Yeah. Let's go back to our phone lines. We've got Robbie online. Good morning, Robbie. Hey, how y'all doing today? Doing, doing great, great, sir. Good. i got a 04 Ford F-150 mm-hmm. with the 5.4 Triton. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. And I just had a new Fred Jones crate motor put in it okay sir and it's got about 116 miles on it already mm-hmm. and i noticed the second day or third day after i've been driving it when you cut it off it makes a wheezing sound like a air going through a balloon when you cut it off mm-hmm. for just a second hmm. have any idea if that's a vacuum line loose that or... sounds a lot like that i yeah. would make sure that they attached all the vacuum lines with you know when they take an engine out of course all that gets detached make sure they didn't leave something off that's making that sort of a noise or it maybe broke broke a vacuum line right. maybe and you're it talking would, about a nine-year-old plastic piece of tubing right and it would probably be one of the small ones because if it were big it would exhaust almost instantly and you wouldn't hear it right. but a small one is going to take it a while to draw enough air pressure in to exhaust all the vacuum in the engine you might, does, does anything not work, like your defrosters or your dash air or anything? Like, have you tried all that? Yeah, uh, air conditioner, all that stuff works. All your modes work and everything. Right. How about mm-hmm. your, your fresh air and research? Might just try yeah. that because you may not yeah. notice it, but okay. it's pro- there's a bunch of little small eighth-inch diameter plastic lines that run and operate all that stuff. Could be one of those got broken during the engine exchange. and. Okay. It could be the bigger boot. It could just be loose and right. the air slipping past it. So take or, your or cracked or cracked. Just take your screwdriver and make sure that the clamps are tight. You know, don't crank them down, but just make sure they're tight where the two the rubber tube won't turn on the the plastic sleeve, and right. see if that maybe and check underneath the hose because they crack a lot of times on the bottom. Mm-hmm. Anything that would would let vacuum vacuum loose would make a noise like that now it's also barely possible that it's not related to the engine swap it just happened to occur at that time in which case it could be like the brake booster can make that noise i don't see how the engine swap would affect it although anything could happen i guess maybe it could have gotten bumped when the motor was going in and out or whatever but i have heard it just failed or maybe it just failed yeah you know if it it needed an engine it's probably got a lot of miles on it so you know the brake booster could go out too i have heard a brake booster make a sound like that and if it is still braking well you know, you've got full power boost and all that, that noise in and of itself does not condemn the booster. In other words, if, if it works well other than that, you can just wait. Eventually, it make it worse and have to be replaced. But if you have no right. other symptoms with it, it's just a noise, you know? Oh, okay. All right. Cool all right. deal. I'll check, check on that. I appreciate it. Sounds great, man. Thanks, Colin. All right. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901. We still got a few minutes. Be glad to try to answer any questions you might have. You know, you, you find funny things like that when you do a major repair sometimes mm-hmm. 
you know, something will get knocked loose, something's brittle and got cracked. Absolutely. I mean, it's you're talking about a major well, repair. You're dissembling virtually the whole front of the truck, and the odds of bumping or moving or whatever, it, it gets pretty high. Sure. Another thing is that, I'm going to call it for lack of a better term, like a placebo effect, in that you've just had a major repair done. You spent a lot of money. So now you're very cautious because you're listening for things. Right. Could be that the noise was there before. You never noticed it. It could also be the engine was making a bunch of noise, and you didn't hear it because of that. Mm -hmm. So lots of times it may just be something that you hear. I know we get that occasionally where people will bring a car in, and it's got a wheel bearing that's screaming. Right. Right. And you change that wheel bearing. That's obviously bad. And now you can hear the same noise, only much quieter, and on the other side. Right. And that's the other wheel bearing, which was also bad. But you couldn't hear it over, over the first the loud one because one. it was so loud that you couldn't hear it. So what we do normally is hook microphones under the car and listen to all the wheel bearings. Correct. And that gives you a better indication. And many times I will tell folks, I say, well, I hear a very loud noise on the right wheel bearing. Unquestionably, it's bad. Sure. There's a slight noise in the left one. Would you like to change them both? Or would you like to just go ahead and change the one and see if the noise is bad enough to worry about or right. whatever? And, of course, as you've seen as well as i have a lot of times when one bearing is bad they've virtually both been down the same road exactly they went through the same, same amount of miles water, same amount of miles right unless one's been maybe in an impact maybe you had a wreck you see and that it, it impacted it and made it fail prematurely or it's low mileage let's say it's got fifty thousand miles in the car and it had an impact to the wheel well i would certainly only change the one almost oh, definitely no reason to change the other but if you got two hundred and fifty thousand miles and one is bad the other one ain't far behind. The other one's probably not too too terribly and far behind. Some of them aren't that expensive to go ahead and change out. Some of them just bolt in. They take about an hour's labor to change. Right. And then there are some that take several hours, and you have to disassemble the front end, press right. the bearing in and out of the hub, put the hub back on the vehicle, and then realign the vehicle right. because taking the hub off disturbed the alignment. Well, and you make a good point. Sometimes there is a considerable savings doing just both at one time. Correct. The bearings themselves are generally, those pressed-in bearings are not that expensive. Anywhere right. from 50 to maybe $100 a piece. And it might be three and a half hours to change one. Uh-huh. But it may only be an additional hour and a half to change, change the other while you're in there. Right. Because you don't have to jack the car up twice. You, you don't, don't have, to- have to align the car twice. You've already got some things apart. Mm-hmm. So in that case, you just have to do the math. In other words, it's going to cost X dollars to do one bearing and it's going to cost the same one amount. and a half x to do two bearings well and they both have a lot of miles on them right so if you elect to do one you can look at that spending that money over again to do the other side and what factors in also is how long do i plan to keep the car sure because if i'm only going to keep this car another week well sure just change the one exactly even a month yeah silly not to but if you're planning on keeping the car till the wheels fall off literally and that uh-huh. can happen yes, yes, <laughs> especially can. with a bad wheel bearing but if you're going to keep the car a long, long time, then you have to think a little more long-term. Sure. You say, well, right now it's less expensive to do this. We get that like with brake rotors a lot of time where we're doing brake pads. The rotors are not terribly bad, but they've got a little shutter to them. Uh-huh. And you say, okay, well, while this is apart, there is no extra labor for me to replace these two rotors. Right. Because I can change the pads for the same money as I can change the pads and rotors. And if you're not going to keep the car very long, well, sure, let's throw a set of pads on it and get rid of the car. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to keep the car a long time, eventually the shutter is going to get worse. And it's going to get to the point where you're not willing to deal with it anymore. Well, and then we're going to have to put another set of pads and rotors plus the labor to do it. Right. Whereas right now, it was just the price of the rotors. 
because there's no extra labor when you're doing the pads. You virtually on, on almost there anyway. Most cars now there are some that have bearings and stuff that have to be packed, and that well, they would have be an a, exception. Well, they have a retainer you have to take off, which captured is, rotor or something right. like that. That would be an exception to that little. But most of them, when you take the brake caliper off, you just slide the the hat rotor right off the hub. That's right. Put a new one on and and put the pads back go. on. That's it. <laughs> Real easy. I see. We're just about out of time. We need to start winding up. We got about another minute to get on out of here. Tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And go to your favorite broadcast service or right. rebroadcast service. Be it iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean, or whatever it is. And if there's a place for a written rating, please go fill it out for us. That's right. Fill out that written review. Because what that does, when someone goes in and types in auto repair, the ones with the most reviews get moved up towards the top of the list for them to select from. Correct. So more people will start to listen to us, and that means we can keep doing the show. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.